A new era has begun for the Portland Trailblazers, a new interim GM at least, and then a new team president were introduced on Thursday. I am Aaron Fentress of the Oregonian. This is the Blazer Focus Podcast. I'm joined by Andrew Thien, our podcast editor and a Blazers fan to get his perspective on all that is going on. And wow, Andrew, I'm going to tell you something. I've only been to a handful of Blazers press conferences, but this one really felt like sort of a a cleansing (laughs) event. The introduction of Joe Cronin as the interim GM and then Dwayne Hankins as a new president. He replaces uh, Chris McGowan, who stepped down last month after what? I don't remember how many years he was there. Long time. Of course, the name people know the most, Neil Olshay who was president of basketball operations, he was essentially terminated for a cause uh, after a four-week investigation revealed that he created a hostile workplace. He has been replaced at least temporarily by Joe Cronin. They were there obviously being introduced and Chauncey Bills was there. So essentially the top three faces of the organization since last season have been completely changed. And two recently... And so Chauncey even joked about how he's the least tenured person with the Blazers among the three, but he has the most tenure within his current position than all three, which he thought was just just wild given all that's you know that's gone on in the last six months. So anyway, here we are. You watched the press conference. Uh give me your, your initial impressions of sort of how you as a fan felt uh about what was said and about where this program is headed or not program franchise. Well, let's just say at the top that this wasn't a press conference, Aaron, this was a a conversation. conversation. (laughs) I think the the Blazers had been (laughs) burned. um, I think in the past by some press conferences um, that didn't go so well, which (laughs) for my understanding, I didn't understand that why they wanted to rebrand. This is not a press conference, but that's for another day. They wanted to be casual. (laughs) It was certainly casual. casual. I mean, it was, um, you know, it, it was a breath of fresh air, um, you know, talking to our uh, our friend and colleague, Joe Freeman, about Joe Cronin. He he said, you know, he's he's very different from Neil in, in a lot of ways. And um, boy, you know, first impression hearing him speak, uh, I was joking with some friends that it, it felt like, you know, I was listening to a, a life coach or a therapist. And I meant that <laughs> in a, as a very uh, complimentary way. I mean, yeah, he's, 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 he's got good. a soothing aura about mm-hmm, him and just seems mm-hmm. like a gentle, nice man. Yeah. He is the, clearly opposite, the opposite of Neil. And for the record, you know, I only covered the team that one year last season. I had numerous conversations with Neil Olshea. Mm-hmm. He and I got along right. swimmingly. So like my personal feelings about him and my interactions with him are positive. Clearly that's not the same as what many people felt who worked within the organization. So sometimes like for me, it's like, I can't relate to how they feel, but I understand. And obviously it's been well-documented and I've talked to many people. Right. Um, But clearly within that organization, the, there's a different vibe. And, And one of the things Cronin said was that it's his goal to create a new culture. And he's been, talking to everyone within the building to find out what they didn't like, what they do like, what could make their jobs easier, what he could do to help them. Um, and so clearly the whole franchise is going in a completely different direction on 
and off the court. Of course, what matters most to the fans is what happens on the court. And the number one question, I think I asked this question two different ways. And then mm-hmm. and I might want to one with Cronin afterwards. I asked it, asked it as well. But what people want to know is, you know, can the interim GM make trades? <laughs> can the interim GM, you know, get down to business? And it appears that he can. Like how he put it was he is going to function as the GM. Uh, Dwayne Hankins said that they're in the first quarter of a GM search. And, of course, I don't know how long each quarter lasts. Is yeah. it each quarter a week? Is it each quarter a month? And I don't Blazers think they have know. had I some think... rough first quarters <laughs> this season, too. <laughs> yeah, so let's hope season. it's not the same. Exactly. Um, but, you know, Cronin said that he's been told by Jody Allen and Burt Coley that, you know, to go do the job and you have a chance to become the permanent guy and they're going to evaluate him. Well, if you're going to, if you're going to do that, you're not going to give him a week. It's like, ready, go, <laughs> you know, trade for Durant or you're done. Right. right? Um, so I, I, it feels like he's going to be given some time. Uh, and how he put it was, you know, he can go out and just function as if he is the permanent GM and whatever deals he figures out and negotiates and has nailed down, he then brings it to Allen and Coldy. And if they say, go ahead, sure, it'll be done. Uh, and, and so for fans, I mean, that's, you know, given the fact that we all knew that Neil O'Shea loved this roster, and I still believe he had reasons to love this roster because there's a difference between I think this roster can be good and mm-hmm. we can win 50 games and maybe win the first round and push some people and become a championship contender. I don't think Neil O'Shea believes this is a championship roster, but I do think the roster is better than they've been playing. But fans want to see movement. They want to see something happening. So you as a Blazers fan, how nice it was it for you to hear that – that uh Cronin's, you know, hands aren't tied. Yeah, no, that was that was a that was a huge deal. Um to hear that he had the blessing um to pick up the phone and make calls. And going back to, you know, it's not just his demeanor, right, and how he handled it himself um from your reporting and and other people on the beat. I mean, this is a guy who um has really put in time. He started as an intern. He's held a lot of different jobs in the organization. You know, that's in a lot of professions, that's a recipe for success and something you like to see is people who have um, put in the work get a chance to shine. Um, so f- from a fan's perspective, it, this is not a guy who's just like walking in off the street um, or has just been lurking in the back room. He's been at the table under a number of different predecessors, not just Neil Olshay. So um, that that was comforting um, to read that in in the coverage. Um, to learn more about the guy, but then you put that together with the package of a guy who, who seems very genuine, who is saying all the right things, um, that fans want to hear, uh, at this point in time, which is there's a ceiling, right? To hear him say that, that there's a ceiling and it's hard to get from good to great. You know, that's something right. that Blazer fans, um, you know, have, have known <laughs> and anyone who has watched or been around this team is that it's hard to get from that level. Um, this is a team that's been in the playoffs, you know, more times in a row, active streak than any other team. But uh, it's comforting to know that the people who will be in charge of the personnel moves know how hard this is and are aware of that and are interested in making improvements. Correct. You know, one of the things that was very clear is that Cronin's fingerprints are on this roster. I mean, I, I think 
And he made it clear to me that he was involved in every single move they made. It doesn't mean he agreed with every single move completely, mm-hmm. but he was involved in them uh, with with Neil O'Shea. He's the chief cap guy. Uh, and, of course, he does talent evaluation as well. So um, he didn't get into – obviously, he's not going to get into which ones he – Agreed with Neil on and which right. moves he didn't, you know, I mean, why would he do that publicly? Of course. Uh, but it's clear that he recognizes that things need to happen. And I think it's obvious that, you know, this was Neil's team and he wanted to see what it would do. And to be honest with you, I mean, it hasn't really had a completely fair chance. And we'll talk about this more about all the different things that have gone wrong that are, I think are beyond uh, the control of what the, the function of the team, uh, or what the team could really accomplish to this point. But yeah. that being said, I think everyone pretty much recognizes that the three guard lineup and, you know, certain people I'm not going to mention are just not quite fitting with everything. And Chauncey's making that clear almost every night. Like almost every night he's upset with effort. He's upset with attention to detail. He's upset with these things. Yeah. And it's clear that. He would like to make some moves. So it's going to be fascinating to see how they converge together, how they work together. They say their vision is in lockstep and that they're going to be more uh, quick to pull the trigger on stuff than maybe Neil would have been this season. Yeah, you, you think back to last year, and we've talked about this a lot, that obviously Nurk and CJ were out and for ex- extended periods of time <laughs> for, you know, 50, 60 games in some cases. Um, and this year has felt, you know, it's it's amazing how quickly you forget about that. This year has has felt um, more tumultuous, I think, just because of the new regime and because of Dame being injured and because of the struggles on the court. Um, but when you look at the standings, and I know we'll talk about this in a little bit. I mean, if Dame comes back and is and is feeling a little bit better, <laughs> then you know they're not that far away from you know, being right in the the thick of things beyond the, you know, the Utahs and the Golden States and and uh the the top three in the in the conference. I've maintained and stated this in many different ways and places that, you know, if Dame doesn't start out as horribly as he started out and he was bad and he's not injured the past what, seven games. And this dates back to at least the Golden State game when he only had sixteen. He had sixteen against Golden State and he had eleven against Utah. And I asked Bill Phillips yeah. what was going on because they got 62 total out of him and CG over two games which you should get those, that much out of one game and he said Dame was banged up and then of course boom he's out with the with the abdomen but if those things don't happen I, they're 11 and 15 right now they'd be 15 and 11 like I, I firmly believe that if Dame is MVP caliber Dame they're 15 and 11 not 11 and 15 so I don't believe things are as awful as people make them out to be also the last couple of games man the effort they played with the last two games against the Clippers and the and the Warriors holding them to a combined two oh nine or whatever it was. Like it was riveting for me. Like I, I was like I thought they were just gonna get pasted both games. The the line yeah. on the Warriors game was fourteen. I can't remember last time I saw an NBA line at minus fourteen. That's like that's like a you know, college football line in certain circumstances. But uh they covered. <laughs> they covered <laughs> with Steph Curry trying to get the record with Dennis Smith and Tony Snell. And Macklemore running around out there, right? And Cody, oh, Zeller was out, sorry. And it's like they played hard. And Nurkic and, and Powell were the main two offensive guys. And then Little comes out and he's being magnificent. You're like, oh, my God, maybe this guy should start. So 
there's they show the effort that Billups wants. So there's potential here, not for this team to contend, but to rise up the standings. In a, in a Western Conference, that's just, I mean, between the Grizzlies and the Blazers, now they're separated by four. There has been some separations since the Blazers have fallen off, but you can't tell me the Blazers can't catch the Grizzlies. You can't tell me that they that they aren't good enough when healthy, with Dame healthy, that they aren't better than the Grizzlies, which I think they are. So they still have a shot to rise up in the top four if they can put everything together and, of course, make a big trade. Yeah, yeah I, you brought up Nasir. Um, I think there's <laughs> zero doubt in my mind he should start. <laughs> I, and I think, uh, you know, if he's healthy, he should start. Um, and I think it's probably... Over whom? Over, over Covington. And I think it's... Uh, I think there's... I'll put him at power and go small, small. Yeah. I, I, I would put him in the okay. starting lineup, but that's just, uh, just, just put him in the lineup regardless. <laughs> regardless, you Play find a way. I yeah. mean, he's, he's, I, he's been the most consistent like, guy, right? In terms yeah. of efforts, yeah. uh, when he's healthy. No, I want to go back to the, uh, the, those two games you talked about. Cause yeah, I mean, you got Dennis Smith Jr., who, um, you know, I've been impressed by, I mean, he, he's, he's not, he can't really shoot that well, but he's playing yeah. a role and he's playing pretty smart and he's obviously playing for his NBA career, um, to try to make it, you know, um, this is kind of like his chance to, uh, it's not going to be with the Blazers most likely, but I've been impressed by him. Um, and yeah, when you see a team that's running its offense through Larry Nance Jr. bringing the ball up the court, <laughs> you know, as, as your point guard, because you're down CJ, Dame and, and Ant, um, I was impressed with the way that they put up a good fight against, you know, the Clippers and the Warriors, uh, in the last two games. But now I guess the question is, you know, the T Wolves have kind of, they've lost four in a row, but they were pretty hot for a while. Um, it's kind of like a, it feels like a must-win game this weekend, uh, especially if Dame's back. You know, the whole everything can, um, you know, in this narrative-driven league, the Blazers have been the narrative all all week long. Um, you know, everyone talking about this team's dysfunction and Dame and will he or won't he, despite what Dame has said repeatedly. But you know, if they if they take care of business on Sunday and have a strong performance and um dame's back and nasir plays like he did against golden state if he's healthy then you know i think the vibes will have turned exactly this this upcoming stretch is just ridiculously huge for them and when we were in the practice facility yesterday for the press conference when we walked out dame was doing workouts he was working on shooting and some other things so he I would imagine he's going to play. He took the cortisone shot reportedly, um, mm -hmm. and Billups uh, acknowledged that. So I assume he's going to play Sunday against Minnesota, which kicks off a four-game homestand. And I'm trying to call up their schedule here, but I believe they, even though they just had a four-game homestand, I, I believe they still got 10 of their next 12 or 14 um, coming up at home. And we all know this is a way better home team than road team. So they, they have to start padding wins <laughs> before they get back to a rough road stretch. Uh, and that starts with Minnesota. So they got four home, then two road against Memphis, New Orleans. Clearly, if they don't beat New Orleans and just pat, then just stay there, cut everybody, <laughs> just disband the franchise. As well, no, they've, they've got the Suns, right? <laughs> it's uh, T Wolves, Suns. No, no, no. I'm saying, no, no, oh. they have four in a row. Then, then they go to Memphis yeah. and New Orleans. Oh, got so it. So I'm saying, two, the two, yeah. Then they come back for three at the Lakers, then come back for four. 
So that's 11 of 14 at home. And then after that, they got the huge road trip of six. So you, they, 11 of 14 at home, they got to start racking up some wins in that, in that stretch. Cause if they get too far below 500, then go on a six game road trip. And actually that six game road trip kicks, kicks off a stretch where they have 10 of 12 on the road. Yeah. You see, so they, like, they could, if they don't do well on the road in the next couple of weeks and they hit that stretch, then you're looking at by the time they come home again in February, early February four, I think it is, they could be 10 games under easily. Yeah. And yeah. then it's just then it's just done. Then now 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 Dame trade watch is on. Although the trade deadline is February tenth, I believe. So this is a huge stretch of games coming up for them. It's unfortunate that they just had a four game home stretch and went one and three. That hurts. But without Dame and without CJ for a couple of those games, what do you expect? Um, but this is going to be huge for them coming up. Like this to me, this is the season. If they if they don't, I mean, I'll put a number on it. What, what did I say? Eleven and fourteen. They got to go eleven and four. Now I'm not saying they're going to win only home and then lose on the road, but they need to go 11 and four, or they're in trouble. Yeah, and I guess what do we know? We're talking Friday morning. What do we know about CJ's availability? Are they going to be reevaluating him next week? Do we know? Or so everything I've read about that injury is that it depends on the severity of, right. of the collapsed lung, of the puncture, and everything like that. So. Like the Mayo Clinic site, I think it was the Mayo Clinic site, said one to two weeks. But that's for your average person maybe to go back to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Not to go play in NBA basketball games every other night, right? So it's hard to it's hard to say. I mean, Billups is going to meet with the media today at the practice availability. Um, so we'll ask, and there'll be people listening to this later can look for reports on hopefully what he said to maybe give some more clarity as to the severity of McCollum's injury and how long he could be out. But it could be it could be a week and a half, two weeks. It could be three weeks. It could be four weeks. You know, it could be a, a while. Who knows? Uh, and that's, you know, that's an issue. However, however, that opens the door for Nasir to start at small forward mm-hmm. with Powell at two guard. If When Dane was out, Ann started at the point, but they're not going to start Ann at the two. They're gonna no. slide. I believe they'll slide, you know. And so now you get a look at life without CJ. And then you can, everyone can ask themselves while watching this, the exercise of Nasir in the, in the lineup and the energy and defense he brings. What would this look like if you put Ben Simmons at the four? <laughs> <laughs> How would that look, especially defensively? I think he would look quite amazing. Well, it's, it's, it's just, it it feels like there's just the uncertainty of, um, of CJ's long-term health, you know, this season is just a, throws a huge wrench in that discussion that, you know, we won't know, um, February is both far away and not that far away. So it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, I think you're right on that. We're going to be knowing a lot more, um, you know, about this team's prospects in the next few weeks. But I mean, irrespective of CJ, the the pieces that are movable um, would be players like Covington and Nurkic who are expiring contracts. Um, Correct. Team, team trying to, trying to, you know, cut, cut bait on, on, uh, on their players is the Indiana Pacers have already said, Hey, we're open for business. So, um, you know, they've got, They've got a couple big guys there. Um, Miles Turner probably makes a lot more sense um, in terms of a fit on the court. But, you know, I'm a 
delusional diehard Blazer fan who has a Arvidas Sabonis <laughs> Lithuanian club team jersey. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of special connection there. Uh, having DeMontis in Portland would be something that um, I think a lot of fans would be pretty excited about. He was literally born here. So um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of intrigue that could happen. That's the only team that's really been public saying, hey, we're going to blow this up. Um, so I guess we'll we'll see what else shakes out in the coming weeks here. Are they that bad right now? They're pretty bad. I had, I had some hope for them to be. I think a lot of people mix. did. Sabonis and Brogdon and um, let me just call them up real quick. I mean, they're eleven and sixteen, but yeah, they're eleven and sixteen. They're just giving up. They're just quitting. Yeah. So Portland fans, hey, this is, there's an example. Small market team. They can't attract another star to go with Sabonis, so they're blowing it up. Well, they had kind of the this happens all over the NBA. The inverse problem, right, of the two big guys who, um, you know, they're not the same player, obviously, Sabonis and Turner, but you know, Blazers have the small guards who are, you know, overlaps. Um, the Turner Sabonis thing hasn't worked, so they're open to offers. Um, I'd be curious if if the Blazers are or and Joe Cronin are going to be picking up the phone. You are listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. So you, you talked to him, you said, for quite a while. I mean, what was your... Can you give any more insight uh, for readers yeah. and listeners about what he's like? I mean, obviously, he seems like he's a pretty just what you see is what you get. But what were your impressions? You've talked to a lot of executives and people involved in sports in your career. I mean, what did you think of him? Very laid back, uh, very unassuming, very conversational, easy to talk to, um, you know, willing to talk and just, you know, not I tried. I always try to keep it. When appropriate, I try to keep interviews in, as informal as possible <laughs> because I want the other person to feel comfortable and, and have some back and forth and things like that. And uh, he was definitely the type of person who would operate like that um, up, up on his board. He had, he had the big dry erase board with the magnets. He had every team's roster with a nameplate for each person with their salary. And then on the right, on another big dry erase board with the little plate seat that, you know, movable plates you can move around. He had list of free agents coming up by position. And then they had color codes on them as far as, you know, restricted free agent, unrestricted free agent, hmm. if they had a player option, club option, all that kind of stuff. So it was like that, that was the most fascinating thing to me because I've been playing video games forever. You can do the, the GM modes and things like that. And I was like, wow, this is like a real GM mode. <laughs> yeah. It's like, cool. And I'm looking at the bull, my bulls and I'm like, oh, there's my team right there. And so that was kind of fun. And then, we, and then he, he talked, I asked him about, because his, his big thing is he's a cap expert. Like he really started learning the cap under Penn and Cho and has become a master of it to the point where someone like Neil Olshay, who also was a big cap guy, could lean on him for cap information uh, and that's, you know, that's something that's really huge as far as just even thinking about any type of potential trade because he's ahead of the game. And, I, and of course, all GMs have people like this. I'm not saying that this is 
you know, something completely unique, but he can look at the board, think of a trade, calculate it in his head <laughs> and know if something would even work or what could be more advantageous, not just this year, but next year. Joe Freeman wrote an article two years ago and in it, he talked about how he just threw names at him, any name in, in the league. And Joe knew how much he made, how many years were left on his deal, what options were coming up. And he said, that's, that's the same today. That's just what he does. So, you know, I, 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 you know, the last thing I said to him when I left is I said, hey, you know, good luck. You know, I don't see why you couldn't be, you know, the guy, obviously. And why does why do teams have to feel like or f- fan bases have to feel like you have to hire some big name? Like, it's, it, whenever I yeah. see that, it drives me nuts. Same thing with the Ducks right now. Got to hire a big name. Well, the most success Oregon's had has, hasn't come with big names. Well, the Blazers, do they have to go get Danny Ainge? Do you have to go steal someone from the Knicks or steal someone from the Bulls? Maybe this guy is a genius. And we just don't know it yet, right? Because he hasn't been given the opportunity to be a GM. And the, the most important thing is that he and Billups are on the same page. He said he was 100% on board with hiring Billups and that they see the game the same way. So maybe your guy is right there. Yeah. You know, and so, and I think, I mean, based on everyone I've talked to within the organization, everyone loves him. Like there's not, and I, I didn't talk to all, however many employees there are, obviously, but people I've talked to have said that everyone, really likes him and that everyone they know likes him. So he's a very well-liked guy as well. So I, I think he has a legit chance. I, I think they're in a window where they want to make moves. Billups wants to make moves. So if he can go out and show that he's you know, capable of negotiating and bringing home a good deal, I don't, even, I don't see why he can't end up getting the job. Yeah, you've got a, an ownership group that is, you know, the, the, trust, the trustee of of Paul Allen's trust, you know, is, is running his sister, Jody is running the organization. Um, and she's kind of been a caretaker, right? Where they, it was time to re up Neil. She did that. It was time to re up CJ and Dame and, and Terry, you know, they, they kind of just defaulted to, you know, why, why rock the boats if something is in front of you. So, you know, I think maybe the likelihood of, of shaking it up and going for a splash or hire would make sense if this was either a new ownership group was, was coming in, um, which I know there's a strong appetite from fan base to see that, um, since, since Paul has died. But I think Joe Cronin is in a pretty good spot given his, everything you just said about how well liked he is, his skill set and expertise and how he's built to this moment. Plus he's got, you know, bosses who, I'm not saying they're not invested, but they are not, as invested as, as, uh, as Paul Allen was, you know, they're not having meetings on a, on the yacht, you know, where he's flying in rich Cho to, to, you know, have the, right. the session where he's being wooed to be the, um, the GM. So, you know, why mess with the guy who's, who's already there if he's, if he's up for it. So it, it is kind of an interesting moment in time. Um, and maybe this is, maybe this is the guy for the job. I think if it, in this moment in time where <clears throat> sorry, you're trying to figure out, can we get another star? What's going to happen? Are we going to trade CJ for Ben Simmons? Are we going to trade CJ for someone else? Or are we going to blow it all up and, and move Dame at some point in the next year? Which I think the window, the clock on that is now until the summer. I believe if they can't elevate this team to where Dame believes we have a chance to win the championship, if Dame's sitting there saying, we have a chance, then I think everything's fine. But if he believes they don't have a chance and they aren't able to make moves between now and next summer, I think that's when he asks 
to be moved. And I think if the Blazers realize they can't acquire another star, then I think the Blazers need to move him because he'll be 32, making 40-something with you know years coming up where he's going to be making 50. You get a bunch of assets and you start over. But anyway, so <laughs> if, they, if, they, if Chauncey Billups, to me, the two most important people in the building are Chauncey and Dame. Dame wants Chauncey. Uh, Chauncey likes Cronin. Dame and Chauncey need to be the point people to say, here's who we want that's available. Go get him. And then it's up to Cronin to go out and try and negotiate the deal. But if there's a feeling that if they brought in a different GM who could be part of the trifecta of the GM, Dame, and CJ in terms of convincing someone to want to come here and stay here and or a free agent as well, or someone being traded who has one year on their deal, then maybe that's where you make a move to get that type of cachet from a GM because maybe Cronin doesn't have that. Maybe Cronin doesn't have that type of pull around the league or those types of relationships around the league or is someone who's who can go into the room, sort of like, you know, effortlessly with the Bulls, flies to L.A. Mm-hmm. to meet with Gerard DeRozan to basically block him from even meeting with the Lakers or Clippers and convince him to come to the Bulls. Like, can Cronin do that? Can Cronin fly to somewhere and say, don't even meet with this these powerhouse franchises, come to Portland? Now, Chicago's different than Portland, you know, as, as we've always said. So that that's where I can see where maybe you say, okay, we need to get someone with maybe more cash, cash in that area. But if Billups and, and Dame are the point people on that in terms of attracting people personality-wise and competition-wise, and Cronin's just crunching the numbers and making and doing the negotiations, then I think you could have a good thing going and, and why rock the boat, like you just said. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> it's certainly one of the most interesting times in in you know recent memory um for this franchise you know it's not the it's not the most tumultuous time um you know obviously that this franchise has had um you know we're not talking about um guns and pillowcases um on planes or you know um uh you know sergey monia and victor kriapa aren't on this roster you know there's there have been some uh more challenging times um but this is certainly uh there's a lot going on and it's, uh, you know, I guess I, the proof is going to be in the pudding to see if, uh, Dame comes back healthy and some of these stars align and then maybe, maybe there's a better vibes coming. We'll see. I said this a million times. Ben, Ben Simmons in a nanosecond. I do believe that everyone in that building right now would want to make that trade. Um, that Neil, was the one who didn't want to make that trade. So Neil's gone. So I think that's where the watch starts. And I don't think Philly can be greedy because right now they're getting zero points, zero assists, zero rebounds <laughs> from that player, right? Because he's not playing. He doesn't yeah. want to play. He's going to continue to, you know, my mental health and to work on this. Quite frankly, I don't blame him. They threw that kid under the bus. He, he's immature. I get that. But I don't like how they threw him under the bus. He doesn't want to be there. So if you're Daryl Morey, you have to at some point recognize that this three-time All-Star with a lot tons of potential does not want to play for you. And it's better to get something than have nothing. Because Joel Embiid, you know, he wants to win now. Are you gonna are you gonna play hardball with Ben Simmons to make a point and leave Joel Embiid thinking, what the hell are we doing? 
why, why are we sacrificing this season? Because they're not, they're not going to contend without adding another player. So to me, I think that's the first place to watch for anything happening because there's interest in Ben Simmons in Portland. And there at least had been reportedly interest in CJ McCollum, who now is injured, of course. But if he if his health checks out, I would just I, I think that deal is is going to happen. Like, I just think that's the natural deal for both teams. I know they're waiting on Dame, but Dame doesn't want to leave. So if Dame doesn't want to leave. Philly would be stupid to not take CJ because I think Philly with CJ is better than Philly with Ben. And I think Portland with Ben is better than Portland with CJ. Yeah, that that Philly team would would <laughs> not be a team you'd want to match up with in the playoffs if they have Embiid looking like he did the other night. Now that he's back from his uh, his uh, COVID, um, you know he had he had a pretty nasty bout with COVID. So I mean, it's good to see him back out there. And you know he's such a dominating force, and to have a playmaker out on the on the guard uh, position. Um, along with Maxi, who's playing pretty well, um, or he was earlier. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But I, I, I don't know. I just have a hard time uh, seeing Daryl Morey swallow his pride. Uh, he seems like a pretty arrogant guy. Who, you know, maybe that's all public bluster. But at you know, at some point, you would think that the player who's like he's like you said, not providing anything because he's not on the court, you'd want to. Uh, maximize that by actually having a body out there. So we'll see. Maybe he thinks there's better moves out think. there. We'll see. Uh, and, a, and a body who's a, a you know a forty a forty six and forty guy in, yeah. in shooting forty six forty eighty, um, and can score from anywhere. And you you put someone like that, he'd be their most versatile scorer. You put someone like that along with yeah with Simmons. I mean, I'm excuse me with uh, Embiid. That's that would be huge. They they would be a clear threat in that. And then, I mean, you mentioned Maxi, they still got Curry and you got Tobias Harris. Like yeah. they're, they're a really good basketball team. They are. And obviously you know, their the record. One thing that was missing last year. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Just their record, I think is just a product of the Embiid situation and, you know, the not having their, one of their best players. Their second best yeah, player. exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, they'll, they'll be fine. But, um, uh, there's some teams in the East, like the Wizards, who have come back to earth a little bit, uh, you know, and it's kind of crystallizing to the what everyone thought. The Nets and the and the Bucks and your Bulls are right there too, who aren't going anywhere. They look fantastic. Yeah, other Bulls. other than the the COVID, you know, COVID is a, a wild card. You know, I'm I started to yeah. think this week, Aaron. It's like, are we going to see another? Is is it just going to be a full systems go or is there going to be like a pause or something i mean it seems like a lot of teams are you know a lot of teams are dealing with it right now obviously because yeah. the country's dealing with it but um i don't know it's it's just a wild season and it's only going to get weirder and wilder i think as we go what um aside from obviously a, a big splashy move, what what small move would you like to see? Not, you know, it doesn't even have to be a name, it just be a style of player that you think this team needs. Um well, I mean, if we're gonna be playing this style that that Chauncey wants to play, um, then I think having another big that's like a, a rim runner um would make a lot of sense. Um that's not Yusuf Nurkic. You know, we were told before the season started that we're going to see a lot of Nurk with the ball in his hands making plays. Um, we haven't seen that. So um, I, I, I think that that would be a move that would make sense. And then the other move that 
that I want to see, you know, is Nasir Little to the starting lineup. But does it have to be starting lineup or could it just be more minutes? More minutes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's he's just so dynamic. I want to see I I I you know, he's we, that's been the major storyline of the year is watching the, him and, and Anthony really develop and, you know, just seeing the ferocity of which he plays that block he had on, uh, on, um, Juan Toscano Anderson the other night. I mean, I can't think of, wow. another, I can't think of another blazer. You, pr- you drop, you pronounced it. Yeah. Hey, nice. yeah. That dude's fun to watch by the way. Um, but yeah, that block is not a play that I can recall many Blazers being able to, to make. The way he went to the side, too. Yeah. It's just like in Denver when he went, not well, not Denver, Houston, when he the guy tried to take the charge and he went to the side a little bit and dunked on him. Yeah. It was, it was just like that, similar, like avoiding contact to finish the play and just and doing all that while you're in the air. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I like Nasir's growth, there's no doubt. I just wonder if he's not better served coming off the bench, providing that instant energy. And and would he be like right now he's playing 22 minutes. If you gave him 33 minutes, would he be, would his weaknesses then become exposed? Do you want him shooting more threes when he's pretty inconsistent there and he doesn't mind taking them? Does that become a negative? Um, you just always wonder with guys like that. They can look really, really good in 22 minutes a game, and then you put them out there for 34, and you're like, okay, yeah, this guy doesn't do <laughs> X, Y, Z, and he doesn't look as good. Maybe. Maybe. But I, I'm a fan, though. I'm irrational. So it's my it's my job to... <laughs> put him out there for 40. Give him all the shots he wants. Well, no, I mean... It's, it's cool watching this develop. And, and, dude, here's the thing that's funny about this kind of stuff. that Whenever I look at guys in the NBA and wonder about their growth, dude's 21. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just so funny it's how young some of these guys are. I was looking at some player the other day. Was it Cam Reddish or someone? And like their stats are just marginal, whatever. And I'm like, I want to, are they, it's just a bus or what's going on with them? I look, oh, they're 22. Oh, okay. They're four years in the league. They're 22. They got, they got time. Yeah. Same with Ant, right? Yeah. I mean, just the other day I was listening to some podcasts and like LaMelo is like 20, just turned 20 or something. It's like, all right, that, yeah. that dude's got, um, <laughs> he's got a lot of years, years in front of him. Of yeah. Well, um, anyway, it's a lot going on. Anything else we should hit on before we go? Well, I was going to say that I, I would, I just, I would drop down <clears throat> a talent level, like on a CJ trade, if you can't get Ben, if you told me like, I'm just throwing out a name and this may not be the right person, but I'm talking about someone like that. It's like Karis Levert. He's not on CJ's level offensively, but he's six, six and he's long and he's rangy and you know, he can score not as well as CJ, but you know, he can score. And I'm not sure what his defensive ratings are. Like I said, I'm not sure if he's the right guy, but I'm talking about someone like that long rangy athletic and get different shots. He, he was light. He lit up the blazers. I think when they came here early this season, he was just getting off shots over guys because they just couldn't deal with him because he was just too big and long. So like, even if you if someone said CJ's better, um, okay, fine. But CJ doesn't fit. You have six guards on this team between six, two and six, three. Now that paid off when Dame, CJ, McLemore and Ant were all out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and God, you had Dennis Smith. Right. Um, but it's just the redundancy of it, but just having more length and a, ver- a different variety of shots and you still have Powell and you still have Ant. Like, I would go down a level in talent to acquire someone like this. Um, 
you know, I was told that, you know, when Tobias Harris's name was out there, that the Blazers had no interest in trading CJ for Tobias. And I'm mm-hmm. like, why? You know, again, it's a, it's a bigger guy. Maybe he's redundant with Covington, but look where, where Covington is right now. You could be starting Tobias and Nasir, Powell, and, and Dane. To me, that's a better lineup than what you have right now, just in the length of everything that you're putting out there. Um, so anyway, I, I just, I, they have to do something. And if it, if it just means giving up or losing in the talent battle, but getting someone who just better fits physically what you want, then I think it's worth it at this point. Cause you give, you give, you give Don Chauncey dudes who will scrap and play D and then give two guys out there, Damon somebody, Damon Powell, whatever, who can fill it up. They're going to be pretty damn good. Yeah, it's uh, there. There's a lot of potential there. Um, you know, they, as Cronin said, he he likes the talent on this team, but <laughs> there there's there's a certain ceiling. So that's, um, again, going back to the beginning, that, that we haven't heard that because, um, Neil O'Shea, you know, his his entire existence was tied up in that not being verbalized. Right? I mean, he, he was. He constructed the team. He was the architect. You know, he wasn't going to say we have a ceiling. Um, but anyway, I, well, it, nah, that's not true. He was going to say we have in, a ceiling com- publicly. I don't think he ever said this team is like a, a top end contender. I think he felt like if those five played together and, and they improved the best defense and they improved the defense overall that it could have a chance to be a threat to, to teams in the West. But in, especially in my conversations with him individually, he never felt like, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're a flat-out contender. Because I would tell him flat-out I didn't think they were a contender, <laughs> and he never, like, pushed back on it. Yeah. Um, but I think he felt like they had a chance to be very good. But And that's what's funny about fans. And they have been fans very good. People in the media. Right. I know, and the people want more, but that, that requires a major trade. So that's the question. Can these guys pull off the major trade that – that he hadn't been willing to do or couldn't pull off or maybe wasn't even available then, who knows. But, you know, it's, it's like fans want a contender and then they're blaming Neil because they think Neil thinks this is a contender when I don't think he necessarily believes it's a contender contender, but he believes they can win 50 games. If you win 50 games, then you're top four seed and you're in the hunt mm-hmm. um, for, you know, to win a playoff series or two and then health factors in. Um, but anyway, so... Moves are going to come. I have no, zero doubt about that. One one quick thing to touch on before we go. Uh, someone asked Dwayne Hankins about the streaming services. And he made, the first point he made was the first obvious point is that we're in more households than ever. Going from NBC Sports Northwest to Root got them on DirecTV, which was a huge issue. And although people were able to stream NBC the past couple of years, there weren't more people streaming NBC than who have Root on Comcast. And so going to Root close to doubled their reach on Comcast Cable and DirecTV combined versus just Comcast Cable and streaming. And now you have the Fubo thing. But he did say that there's ongoing negotiations with the other streaming services, including YouTube TV. We'll see how that, you know, when that happens. But as someone who, someone who worked at NBC and remembers they were, when they were going through the contract negotiations mm-hmm. four years ago, and one of the big sticking points was reach and NBC presented the streaming option, which basically made it so that, hey, if you want the Blazers and don't want Comcast Cable, here's your here's your chance. That's gone, but there's still Fubo, but some people don't want Fubo. Now, do you do streaming? I did streaming, yeah. I love YouTube TV. It was good to hear uh, 
the interim president talk about it. Um, I would love to have YouTube TV back because I think that's the best product. So we'll see. Um, you know, hopefully next year. All right. Well, new era. People crying about Neil O'Shea for a long time. <laughs> Everyone got their wish. Big day for the haters. I'm, you know, I'm I'm happy for them. I guess uh, again, like I said, I had no problems with Neil O'Shea. He and I had a good relationship, but I clearly understand. You know, fans are frustrated, and that's fine. I think some of the frustration is unrealistic, but we'll see. I do think that you have a head coach that wants to make moves. I think you have a new GM that was a part of this roster build, but it was clear that he didn't agree with everything. I think he wants to make moves. And you have a superstar who's over 31 now. He wants to make moves. So I think the Blazers are very well positioned to probably make some very significant roster changes and then see how that plays out in terms of elevating their status as a contender and keeping Damian Lillard Damian Lillard happy moving forward. That's it. That's it. You didn't follow anything else? Okay. No, I don't have anything I guess anything we're done else. with this. <laughs> we're done with this episode of the Blazer Focus Podcast. Please subscribe. Click that subscribe button and give us a five-star rating. That'd be nice. And uh, we will be back next week, hopefully looking at a team that maybe has rattled off a couple wins and gotten healthy and gotten back on track. Winning cures Thanks everything. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>